matters of the mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Well, hello there on this gorgeous summer Wednesday. Welcome to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us. That would be myself, Dr. Peter Andersacco, and my co-host, Todd Miller. We're back. Fresh season, new shows, fresh guests, and some old friends coming back on our shows. So, Todd, how have you been? Uh, good. I can't believe you said summer. Isn't it September? Isn't summer over? Well, tell that to Mother Nature, folks, because I got to tell you, these last two weeks have been absolutely brilliantly warm, and this is what summer is all about. A little late, but hey, better late than never. We had that the one or two days where it was down to like 17 or 16, and it felt very much like fall, and I thought, yeah, this is, I like this. I like thinking of, you know, hiking in the late fall activities and, you know, uh, what's coming up? We got Thanksgiving coming up, and we get to See? overeat. Yeah, Thanksgiving and... Dare we even say this? Like, Ooh. what is Christmas like? Um, three months away. I'm Wait also- a second, but you missed the spooktacular Halloween. You're going to be doing a lot of stuff for Halloween, I'm sure. Yeah, we have a fair bit of stuff up and coming in. We'll be sharing details as we move along um, leading up to the great uh, Halloween party. In fact, one of our former guests who has become a really good friend of mine, Mitch Markowitz, will be one of the featured guests at that event. And as I said, we will give you more and more information. And anybody listening, we have vendor tables, by the way, which are ridiculously cheap, like 25 bucks, uh, which will be an entire day. Um, all proceeds are going to the town of Ridgeway and charitable organizations there. And by the way, if you are a charity and you would like to have a table there, 10 bucks um, is what we're asking. They're asking, I should say, Ridgeway is um, to donate. And it's a donation. You don't even have to donate 10 bucks, but, uh, you know, there's a saying, hey, you want a table? Be nice to kind of get 10 bucks from you. There's some good karma in there, I'm sure, for spending the 10 bucks. So who have we got on today's show? Well, that's a good question, Todd. Uh, I'm hearing names like Jason Priestley, Patricia Quinn. Cassandra Peterson. Uh... Scott Ooh. Scott Wilson from The Walking Scott Dead. Scott Wilson, Joey Panoliano. Tom Savini, who's done pretty much everything. And it was funny because we were interviewing Tom Savini uh, and uh, Jason from uh, the Halloween movies. Was it Halloween? No, I'm sorry. I'm mixing up my, my horror movies. But anyways, Jason, the guy with the mask, walks by and, and shakes hands with Tom. That was a little uh, kind of a freaky moment. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely cool. And by the way, folks, um, this was all made possible by two very good guys, James Ponce and Chris Dabrowski, who run the Niagara Falls Comic Con. And these guys are just upstanding guys. And each June they run the Comic Con Niagara Falls, which is one of Niagara Falls' biggest and most successful fun events. And it runs first week of June. And sure, we're going to have definitely Chris back on next year, we're hoping. Chris, if you're listening, we're going to get you back on, talk about the wonderful event leading up to it. Great. we got to pay some bills because, you know, we're uh, we're doing not doing this for free. And we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio. We'll be right back. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. 
Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays, 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green. Peter Andrew Sacco, and do you have technological rage? Oh yeah, the new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting? Facebooking or online dating, maybe you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Johnny, show me that you care, really care for me. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. to matters of the mind or everything on your mind matters to us each and every week folks so if you ever have an issue a topic a subject or something that is just on your mind that you wonder about please definitely do email us facebook us send us something on twitter even instagram us uh if at all possible and we will try to get your subject matter onto our show and as I said, we got tremendously great guests, best-selling authors, celebrities, experts in their fields that will shed light on the things that matter most to you. Now, I just want to jump in because you said Instagram. There are a lot of selfies on Instagram. That's, that's a topic I'd like to suggest, that we get into the psychology of selfies because, man, are they prevalent everywhere. So I guess let me ask you this, Todd. Do you own a vanity stick, also known as the selfie stick? No, 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 I do not. Because <laughs> this is a real interesting bone of contention, so to speak, um, that has come up. How self, um, how should we say? Absorbed. Absorbed or egotistical have people become that not only do they carry their phone with them everywhere they go, but now they carry this selfie stick because you never know when it's going to be a photogenic photo op moment that may crop up. There is a use for it. And they first, they initially appealed to me because I thought, yeah, I... I'm by myself a lot during the day and I go hiking and I get out and I do fun things. And I thought, wouldn't it be great? You know, I'm using this, stretching my arm out as far as I can, but you, all you see is my big head. You're missing all of the, the stuff that I'm posing in front of. And I thought, oh, a selfie stick, that's kind of cool. But then you see like hundreds of them at Niagara Falls or at all of these attractions in Toronto. And it looks like there's a lightsaber battle going on. Or, you know, like a, there's been a seniors bus that's been dropped off and all these canes are waving in the air. It gets a little crazy at times. You know, you know, it's really funny. I was on Bill Profita's show. He's a tremendous uh, talk show host down in New Orleans, down in the Big Easy. And Bill had me on his show, um, Bill and Kevin. And they were asking me what I thought about it because they thought, wow, how vain has society become? So, and it's just how far do you, was, does one go with this? <clears throat> and I think, Todd, I have seen... <laughs> the village idiot um, 
vanity stick. This was, <laughs> and, you know, there's no other way to describe this. This is an individual driving their vehicle with the selfie stick and the phone out the bloody mm. driver's window, trying to snap off a shot of them as they're driving. So, you know, you have the distracted driving law now, which is about 490 bucks plus three demerit points. Up to up to <laughs> a thousand, I think now in certain instances, that would be a case right there for a thousand bucks. So can you just imagine you're on, uh, you know, I'm going to speak, even though we have many, many, many thousands of American listeners, but we have what we have, the QEW or the 401 or the 403, which are our major highways. Can you imagine, Todd, driving your vehicle, trying to snap a picture of yourself off in rush hour traffic, selfie stick out the window on the phone, and a cop OPP seeing this? Yeah, or a car goes whizzing by or an 18-wheeler and snaps off your uh, your selfie stick and your arm, potentially, going the other way. But this is the thing. This is what I don't understand. Okay, we have this uh, this new speeding law in Ontario. If you do, uh, what's it called, uh, road racing or over 50 kilometers over the posted speed limit, they they confiscate your car for seven days and your license. So you're out of luck. Why do they not do the same thing for these people that do distra- distracted driving? If the OPP are listening, Toronto Police, get in touch with me. I'll give you my ideas. You can have them for free. If you get caught distracted driving with your phone, you lose the phone for a week. I'll throw yeah. it out there. Yeah? And? Yeah. It, it is a real interesting um Conundrum, but my friends who are listening who are actually cops will say, you know what, great ideas, but guess what, folks? They'll go get another cell phone with another card, and then we'll be using that one. Yeah, that's true, but I mean, I, I don't know about you. I've had the same cell phone number for about 10 years. To me, it is my lifeline. If, if I had to contemplate changing phone numbers and then saying, who the hell has my cell phone number and how do I get it to them, I would, I would lose it. Now, maybe kids aren't that addicted to a number, um, but to me, it seems like... A bit of a more than a minor inconvenience, wouldn't you think, to lose your phone number for a week? You know what, Todd? It's a real interesting thing. Over the summer, which I guess, hey, folks, we've missed you. We we took the you know two and a half months off to have our own summer stuff, and I did my own stuff, which included finishing off a book called "The Internet Apocalypse: <laughs> no. How Would You Survive?" And this, what we looked at, Todd, myself, a co-author, um, um, my buddy Mike there, who. I did a lot of research for this, Michael Fox, and uh, Dr. Brian Piek, uh, who is a astro- astronomical researcher. He does a fair bit on astronomy and that stuff. And he said the prevalence or the potential for a meteor shower to strike or come close to Earth, which could literally wipe out our satellite systems, is possible. And we looked at the premise of the entire Y generation has only known Internet and cell phones. What would happen to these folks? If you no longer could use the internet, cell phones, and everything had to go back to the old ways, you know, getting in lineups to go to banks, um, researching information in libraries, actually having to use a pickup or dial, you know, rotary phone. It's funny, you know, that you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking of all the things I just posted on Facebook. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I posted a, a bunch of bikes laying on the road, and 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 the the meme said, "This is how I found my friends. This is where I knew everybody was hanging out." Um, and then yesterday, I shared something saying I was glad that I grew up in a generation before technology, because the way my mom called me home from dinner was probably the vast majority of people. Um, you know, their mom yelled out the front door at them and screamed at them to get home. And you could hear it around the block. But that's the way it worked, you know. And now people communicate with technology and they do it, uh, you know, at the uh, the risk of not having face-to-face conversations, which is quite yeah. strange. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's really changed the dynamics of communication and interpersonal relationships, which we'll be talking about with guests in upcoming weeks. But what was really interesting, and you, you, know, you brought it up with uh, youth, teenagers, kids, the whole nine yards, um, role models socializing nowadays. And this was one of the premise that you and I, we wanted to discuss which, with, with people like Jason Priestley, Scott Wilson, uh, Patricia Quinn, Tom Savini, all the, you know, the uh, even Cassandra Peterson. Why, uh, what are today's role models out there on television? What um, is the message that television media is sending out there to kids? And we were really great, grateful for these individuals that gave us sound bites to discuss what some of the more prevalent issues are with media today, television, movies, and also how to be a good role model to kids and how to encourage kids to chase after their dreams. Um, yeah, it's funny because I remember we were talking to Tom Savini about that and, you know, and he was telling us about his, as you'll hear, about his nephew and the stuff that he's into. And it's just, you know, in, in one respect, I feel we've lost a lot of innocence. You know, the, the, shine, is, the shine is off the coin. We are... Uh, constantly on social media and in this great electronic world, uh, kids have lost their innocence in a, in a manner of speaking because they're watching all of these shows that you and I never would have considered watching. We watched horror movies, but it was more about the suspense than the actual deed. I remember like some of the earliest horror films I saw. You never saw the knife plunging into somebody. You saw the hand come down and they cut to somebody's face or they cut away. It was never the act. And now it's just gore, gore, gore. I mean... You know, sorry, sliced alone, but your Expendables movies, when you see people's heads blown off from a bullet, you know, it's just, uh, do you need to do that? Do kids need to see that? You know what? It's It really has, right across the board, the dynamics with everything has changed. And it, we live, you know, let's be realistic, Todd. We live in a day of desensitization. Uh, you know, we see stuff and then a lot of people build up tolerance, especially the Y generation, and they need more of this adrenaline rush thrill excitement to kind of keep their attention and it's interesting how far will movies go to push the buck to outdo the next one and the next one to try to go to that end that is so provocative so uh, let me ask you this but here's an interesting intriguing question could we actually revert the other way where it is so disgusting um, with what you see on movies and TV as you said the blowing up of somebody's head and all this stuff that to go back to, say, a master of direction like Alfred Hitchcock, where you see nothing, basically, but it's all implied, could that then be the antithesis of the new provocative, where you actually have to use a beautiful mind to try to figure out what the heck's going on? That's a really interesting question. And I don't mean anything, you know, to today's generation, but... Um we really, you know, and one of the things, too, yesterday I was saying that I grew up in, in the meme in a generation without technology. I had to use my imagination to play. As I said in, the, in my post, I had a towel on my back and I was a superhero. That was the extent of what I played with. And I ran around my neighborhood. And that, for me, was hours of fun. And today, even my young guys, if they don't have a device or someone entertaining them, they get bored. And I think it's okay to get bored. Because then it forces your hand to say, oh, i got this thing sitting on my shoulders. What am I going to do with it? And you know what, though? What's really interesting, Todd, is the whole meme, you know, the notion that, well, this idea of behavior or whatever lifestyle, uh, it's from person to person that kind of spreads through, and for all intents and purposes, online social media culture. Who basically says that this person has the qualifications, the credentials, the great experience or the wherewithal to actually create this idea. Yeah. I, I don't know. 
I don't really know. I just think that people these days get a lot of information and a lot of ideas spoon-fed to them. And granted, there's still people that that shun the technology and sit down with a slide rule and, and they're working out secrets of the cosmos. But, you know, by far and away, most people are just um, passive consumers of, of information. And it really is, you know, as you say, and I think that's the key word you use, passive. Because back in the day, we studied this uh, in my undergrad years and then eventually when I did my PhD and my dissertation, where I looked at viewing habits. And the scary part was, Todd, were those that were the passive viewers were the ones that were more likely to be the sponges and accept stuff, take stuff in, especially garbage. Whereas the active viewer who scrutinized screen, what they really were selectively choosing to watch and allow into their mindset became the more, how should we say, uh, higher IQ based individual that was more likely to succeed in life. Very cool. We're going to take a short break, and we're coming back with our Niagara Falls Comic-Con wrap-up. And after that, we've got our very special guest, Ellen Campbell from the Canadian Centre for Abuse Awareness. We're going to check in with her and see what's happened over the summer, check out the new digs, and see what they are in urgent need of. Stay tuned. More right around the corner. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home, the Mulholland Ross Team offers over 26 years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500. Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. to Mental Health Matters with Dr. Peter Sacco on radio that doesn't suck.com and rtds.ca.
Cassandra Peterson, perhaps best known as Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, joins us now on Matters of the Mind, live from Niagara Falls Comic Con. Okay. So, Cassandra, what got you into animal rescue? What was the drive? I don't know. I've just always loved animals since the moment I was born, I think. I've had a million rescued animals, and uh, I just, uh, what can I say? I love, I love animals. I hate to see them go homeless or be euthanized, and I wanted to do everything I could to, you know, further that cause. Excellent. And as far as HIV and AIDS, what got you involved in that? Was it something personal or just a something you had a lot of interest in? Yeah, what got me involved in helping people with HIV and AIDS is that nearly every friend I had uh, died from AIDS. I, I had an address book that was empty. I was just... It was amazing. My life was devastated back in the early 80s. Just everybody, I, my best friends of all time, all passed away over the in the, in the course of about five years. And uh, I just felt I had to do whatever I could do to help. Joining Dr. Peter Sacco and myself, Todd Miller, at Niagara Falls Comic Con, is Jason Priestley, perhaps best known for his ongoing role in 90210. And we talked a little bit about roles and responsibilities of being a parent. Okay, so Jason, being one of Canada's most iconic actors, and today still very prolific in terms of being a face in the media, what do you think today's media does for kids? Is it educational, is it more reality, or is it more shock value? Well, I mean, it, it, uh, you know, media has become very, uh, and, and the way the media gets delivered has become very specific. So uh, kids, kids can get any of those things depending on where they, where they get their media from. They, they can get educational. Uh, I think they, 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 they can get educa- educated. Um, they can get reality TV, which is... I don't think it's good for young people to watch because it, it's not it's not setting the bar very high for them. Um, or, or they can get, what was the third thing you said? Uh, shock value. Shock value. They can get that too. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I, I think, you know, but, but I think as parents, the onus is on us to be conscious of, of the, uh, of, of, of what our children are, are viewing. Um, and where and where they're and where they're viewing it, so that we can so that we can guide their their viewing habits, so so the, so that we uh, uh, so so that so that we can guide them in the in the right places, because because it, it is very like you know ch- channels now because there are so many channels channels have become very specific, and they, and they're they're going after a very narrow piece of the pie because that's all they can get, because the because the the viewing audience is so fractured now, so so it really falls on the parent to know what channel the, their kids are watching because that because that channel will be it will be very specific towards whatever type of media is being delivered on that channel mm-hmm. and as far as a parent now your parent yeah. in terms of creativity do you encourage your kids if they want to get into acting or pursue whatever dreams that they have in their life uh, I, I, I I encourage my children to pursue whatever dreams they have in their lives um, but I, but I also believe, uh, as a parent, that you that you have to instill uh, uh, the desire for education in your children. I think that education 
uh, is is the most important thing. Um, and so I so so that that's what I I just I just continually push my children um, uh, uh, to to learn more and to and to, and to have a thirst for knowledge because I, I think that that's that that's the basis for everything. Beautiful. The irrepressible Patricia Quinn joins us now on Matters of the Mind from Niagara Falls Comic Con. She was magenta on the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and she has a legacy, a body of work a mile long, including some wonderful actors that she shared the stage with. Pursuing a statue of myself as magenta, and there's a big petition for it, so quite exciting, because Richard O'Brien has one in Hamilton, New, uh, New Zealand, Auckland. And it's a statue of him in the spacesuit in bronze. And people make, um, you know, sort of trips to this statue. You know, it's kind of a pilgrimage, yeah. So I thought Northern Ireland should have the female of it, of me in my spacesuit. So Northern Ireland invited me home after 36 years to open the film festival. So now I'm honored in my hometown. And I arrived there and I said, what I require is a doctorate at Queen's University and a statue of magenta in her spacesuit, preferably in bronze. And they said, well, Miss Quinn, we might be able to arrange for the doctorate, but we're not sure about a statue. I said, oh. And do you know what? The BBC News took it up in Northern Ireland and they did a big programme on getting this statue for me. So, come on, Facebook, vote. We will, we will look for that on Facebook for sure. So, Patricia, one question I have for you is, how do you shift from one role to another in movies? Do you ever feel like, wow, this is really different? It drives, you gotta get crazy in a role. No, I never do. First of all, I'm an actress, and that's I know how to act, uh, you know. So with acting, everything is you begin with the first brick. No matter how much you've done, no matter who you are, Sir Laurence Olivier, Sir Robert Stevens, Sir John Gielgud, can I mention any females that I can think of? Even that, well, I don't know. But uh, so you begin at the beginning. So you begin with a character called Magenta, and you read that script, and you begin to think, and your th something called your imagination goes to work your techniques and skills that you've learnt. But first of all, it's imagination. And then you begin at the beginning and you start forming the character. Then I went on from um, Magenta to do a massive series. I was the first to leave the stage show. I did the stage show in 73. And I was the first to leave it. Um, and I went to play Christopher Pankhurst in a massive television series called Shoulder to Shoulder about getting the vote for women, women's suffrage. So that was an amazing character to play. And it's always fantastic to play real life characters for me, because you learn so much, there's so much history. So I played um, in the pre-Raphaelites, I played Elizabeth Siddle to Ben Kingsley Rossetti. And then we did I, Claudius. Well, that was a potted uh, history of Rome, which was st stunning. You know, and I was like in New York when I'd just done that. The whole of America was taken up with I, Claudius when it first came out, as was London. And it was stunning, because this news vendor selling newspapers in the streets of New York, because I was there for a Rocky Horror thing, and he shouted at me, he said, you're a terrible woman, a terrible woman. I said, sorry? I thought, is he talking to me? I said, what? He said, you know what you did? You murdered your daughter, you murdered your husband. You deserved everything you got. 
Don't you love it? He's shouting about Rome, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. He's watched the whole of this, because we had a brilliant script writers at the BBC at the time. Today, everything's written, yeah, no, no, you know, but we had scripts, massive scripts. But we knew, because we were trained as actors, how to deal with these, you know? And uh, today, I do find it a little disappointing. I go to the theater, and I see young actors acting, and I'm not being a grumpy old woman or whatever, but they haven't a clue. Sorry, I've seen the greats, I've seen them all. Because when I was a girl, I was Olivier's company was at the Old Vic. And then on they went, so I've seen the, the Maggie Smiths, the day, you know, the Red Graves, all of them. You've not only seen them, you've actually worked with them and shared screen time with them. Well, I actually, I have. Well, John Hurt was our Caligula. He was very naughty. <laughs> he still is. You know, so we had amazing times. But I went to see uh, Medea the other week at the National Theatre of Great Britain, and uh, Helen McCrory, who's a marvellous actor from my drama school, uh, we're all the best. Fassbinder, Tom Hardy, all those, all my school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the Drama Centre London. Anyhow, uh, Medea was wonderful. She was. But I'm sorry, the supporting cast were not wonderful. They do what I call television acting, and it's not big enough for the stage. So I left very disappointed. Well, hopefully we'll see you back on the screen soon. Where? We'll see you on the screen soon. Oh, yeah. I'd quite like to go on the stage, actually. Uh, I was thinking of doing, I was hoping to do whatever happened to Baby Jane on the stage. It began as a stage play. It began as a novel. Uh, but it's very hard to get the rights from Warner Brothers. They're tied up. And what else do I want to do? I want to do a, a, a Dorothy Parker, like a one-woman show. I have worked on it a bit, but a lot of people have done it. Not, not good, actually. I mean, I don't mean that. But I, there isn't one that I would want to do that I've seen. You could improve on it. I just, I just think it could, it could be better, you know, because everyone I've seen, and it's a thing that a lot of actresses do, because she's an amazing character. I love her to death. She'd be worth doing. But there's someone else I might do. Me. Okay. One woman show about you. Well, I hate that really because that's like the end of the line, you know? Like when Elaine Stritch did hers, which was amazing because she can sing and do everything. Once you do your one woman show, you think, oh, is that it? What's left? Is that all there is, you know? Well, thank you very much for chatting. Thank you so much. Yes, of course. Joining us now from AMC's The Walking Dead, Scott Wilson, who played Herschel. And little did I know, I just found this out, that his first role was in The Heat of the Night. What a great movie to start your career with. Joined us from Niagara Falls Comic Con. Here's a brief chat with Mr. Scott Wilson. I'm in Damien. I've been in some of the episodes of Damien that's shooting in Toronto. Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, cool. That's the first, I guess, my first question. So, Scott, how do you find, as a character, in different roles, how do you get yourself psychologically into the mindset of the characters? Good question. <laughs> Hard answer. I mean, it's just reading the script, having a feel for the material. 
and trying to, to interpret what the riders wrote. It's, it's, uh, you can play all kinds of people. That's one of the fun things about being an actor is that you can play a lot of characters that are really not like you. Okay, so you went to the biggest characters, Sam on CSI, and then Herschel, obviously, on The Walking Dead. Do you find yourself since doing either one of those characters that you're typecast most in either one of those? Or well, you identify you? that most with you? My first film was uh, In the Heat of the Night in 1967, directed by Norman Jewison, a Canadian. And my second one was in Cold Blood. And I was a pretty hardcore killer and based on true, you know, real life. And then I did a film based on a play that Pope John Paul II wrote. So I think you can play different types of characters. Excellent. I met this next man at Niagara Falls Comic Con and his wonderful company called Deadly Grounds Coffee. Uh, they were exclusively available in uh, America, the United States, but now have set up shop north of the border in Canada. They are now known up here as Deadly Grounds Canada. So get their coffee. And uh, we talk with founder Tom about how the company came to be, why the name, why his love of horror. We learned some very interesting things about them. We also got to sample that amazing brew while on site. You have this amazing coffee concept company called Deadly Grounds. Yes. How did you come up with this idea? Uh, actually, this was just a twisted idea I came up with one night and nobody stopped me in time. And <laughs> now, now, now we have this. <laughs> It really, it, part of it is uh, being coffee and a coffee addict for quite some time. And the other part of it is is being a horror fan for even longer, for as long as I can remember. Somehow the two never seem to be apart. They're always, they're always together. I, I can't remember watching any horror flick on TV late, late at night without having a cup of coffee in my hand. So. But, but coffee's never featured any of these horror films, though that I know of. Not yet. <laughs> Concept. Well, well now, up to now, there wasn't Deadly Grounds, but now there is, so we're out there. If anyone's listening, we're ready to go. Wes Craven, if you're listening. <laughs> right, exactly. We have to caffeinate him. We have to Deadly Ground him. So let me ask you this. Some people will say there's good vices, bad vices. How would you classify coffee, caffeine? Good vice? Necessity? <laughs> it's definitely a necessity. It's, it's, of course it's a good vice. It's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing. Anything that can perk you up in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, or any other time of the day or night, can't be all that bad. And ironically, which is really interesting, working in addictions as long as I have for 20 years, working with people with alcoholism, other stuff, actually many of them go to the support groups and they drink coffee as their substitute, which is a good thing. Something I want to ask you, Tom, which is really cool. So you guys have a Hearst. Yes. Is this how you foresee yourself expanding and having these hearses go to work sites and that stuff, almost like these food trucks, and then serving coffee out of a co coffin? Well, that would actually be a pretty cool thing to have a fleet of hearses and travel the countryside caffeinating and deadly grounding everyone as, as we move across. Right now, we're using it as our ambassador as we travel around. We're from America, and it was really cool driving a, a hearse full of coffee and a casket across the, across the Canadian border. It was quite interesting. <laughs> well, we're coming to you live from Niagara Falls Comic Con, obviously. Uh, safe to say, though, when I looked at the parking lot, yours was not the only hearse parked in the lot. Oh, they're all 
copycats, come on. You know? <laughs> we, we were the first one for a while anyway. People kept asking us if, if that was our hearse. It, it's easy to find us. Our license plate is to die for, which is the coffee is to die for. I'll have to check it out. And so did you actually buy the hearse with the intention of using it for the coffee or did that jab the hearse first, then it's like, hey, they go together. Amazingly, this whole thing started gelling really quickly, and initially, I didn't think of the hearse. We always wanted a hearse, though. We wanted a hearse for Halloween, but we couldn't really justify having one for one day. And as we're going through the process of thinking about Deadly Grounds and Coffee to Die for, I thought, hey, that would be a cool company vehicle to have. This is our third hearse. This, we, we've had three of them up till now. The first one, a, you know, a tree fell on. So we thought that was a good omen. That meant we needed to get something even bigger and better. So we went and bought a far bigger one, and the roof flew off of that. These things happen with old vehicles, so especially when you drive them around all over the place. We've, we've driven our, our hearse from, obviously we're in Canada now, but we've driven our hearse from Connecticut, where we're based, to Hell, Michigan, because we are the official coffee of Hell. And so we have to make an appearance here once a year for, for Hearse Fest. Third Saturday of uh, third Saturday of every September, and it's an incredible pre-Halloween show. You should always be there. Now you were telling me the other day that you're in contract talks with Satan himself to be your spokesperson, but the contract negotiations are going well, not going well. Well, they're hard to negotiate. I mean, we're bringing the best to the to the table. We'll, we'll see what we can come up with, but I'm sure in the end we'll win. Well, we'll win something. I sold my soul for rock and roll many years ago. You're selling yours for coffee. Fair trade? It's been sold a long time ago. I'm standing here in front of you now with a cup. This is part of the deal. I'm there. I'm theirs. Uh, so where can we find your coffee? We're in Canada right now, and there's a wonderful booth here at Niagara Falls Comic Con where we can get your beans. You've got several different roasts. Tell us a little bit about the roasts and where we can find them. We have quite a few roasts. We have about 15 or so different roasts, different flavors. There's some flavored coffee, some obviously lots of non-flavored. Uh, everything from you know our house blend, which is our breakfast blend, all the way to the French roast, which is the darkest. All of it is smooth, non-bitter. You won't find any of that in any of our coffee, which, which, which was what makes it really, really unique and different. But you will be able to find it right now. You can find it on our website at deadlygroundscoffee.com. However, you will also be able to find it in Canada at deadlygroundscoffee.ca. So. Very cool. Very cool. We, we come we come prepared. We're we're caffeinated. We're on the quest for world coffee domination. So <laughs> we had to bring the goods, and I know that Canada is full of intense coffee drinkers. We are. We have uh, several chains that are throughout the country, but we'd certainly welcome a new blend of coffee to Canada. Well, don't be too surprised if sometime really soon you'll see a Deadly Grounds coffee shop somewhere. Just look for the hearse. Make sure you invite us to the opening. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Thank you so much. Joining us now is a man that has done pretty much everything in the entertainment business. If I look at his Wikipedia, and I'm going to go to his website as well, he's an actor, special makeups effects, director, producer, stunt performer, Tom Savini. Thomas Vincent Tom Zavini joins us next. Great guy. Spent a couple minutes with uh, with us chatting, and uh, he's done some pretty incredible things. If he's if it's horror related, he's there. Dawn of the Dead, Maniac, Creep Show, The Ripper, Creep Show Two, Innocent Blood, Heartstopper, From Dusk Till Dawn, Children of the Living Dead, and I think, in my humble opinion, his best role was in The Simpsons, and it was the episode worst episode. Ever he played himself. So if you can find that one on DVD or on demand, by all means, check it out. Tom Savini joins us live from Niagara Falls Comic Con. So one of the questions I have is you've been in the horror uh, genre for a long time, especially Dust to Dawn, these movies with the whole even zombie stuff and that stuff. 
So are you finding today kids like this and kids really enjoy this kind of? Kids, kids are crazy about this stuff. I was crazy, when I was a kid, I was 11 years old when I saw a movie called Man of a Thousand Faces. So why didn't I just see that movie and go home and then live my life and see another movie? Why did that movie change my life? It completely changed my life. I, that, that movie made me want to become a, uh, one of the guys that make the monsters. And um, so it is possible to, as a kid, to make your dreams come true. You know, you just pursue them. I went to the library and read up all I could on makeup, you know, and um, I think when you, when you think about something all day long, it comes true for you, you know. I'm trying to keep the theme going, you know. <laughs> but yeah, kids love it. Look at uh, just if you're on Facebook or Twitter or the internet, especially movies like Dawn of the Dead, the zombie movies, you know, Walking Dead. They, that's, that's a big deal on the internet. People, that's why all these people are here, collecting autographs from people that have been in The Walking Dead or, or Ted White, who was Jason in Friday. I mean, why would parents let kids see that, you know? I mean, like a, a, a parent came yesterday and brought their, uh, he must have been nine. He says, we're gonna let him start watching Friday the 13th. I says, well, let him start with the first one, okay? Because maybe by the time he's 18, because the rest of them are like pornos with death scenes in them, you know? I mean, that's what they cater to. How often do you do these Comic Cons? And, and uh, I mean, just looking at the crowd, do you find this as harmless escapism? Oh yeah, no, I love the mood of conventions, you know? Because you, you're here with hundreds, maybe thousands of people who are interested in the same thing you are. I mean, how often does that happen, you know? Uh, well, I do little trivia games at my table to see how much they do know. And they know a lot about horror movies. So yeah, this is fun. And this ranges from little kids to doctors and lawyers, you know, and every weirdo in between. So this is fun. This is like being in an aquarium and watching the variety of fish go by. Are you inside the aquarium or on the outside of the aquarium? Outside. Ah! Oh. <laughs> Hello, darling. <laughs> No camera, I'll just go. <laughs> Actually, we'll get you next, Jason. Yeah, that was uh, Ari Lehman, the first Jason ever, who just gave you a laugh. He, he looks far, I don't know, more, more uh, you know, safe in person. Well, he was 13 when he played Jason. I had no idea that. He was our dope connection. <laughs> He's the guy that would bring bags of marijuana to the set. Excellent. My grandson's 13. I can't imagine him <laughs> doing that, you know. Times have changed. Times have changed. Maybe you might want to take that out of it. I might edit that. Yeah. So, Tom, might. how fun is it to get into a character, to really let yourself go? Well, it doesn't happen all the time. It's rare when it does happen, and it's a, it's a high. Your hands go numb. You, you really experience that the person. Like, this, this usually occurs in plays, not so much in movies. Because in a play, you're, you're, you're dialing up a character that you have to maintain for an hour and a half, two hours. In the movies, you, you dial up a character and it's maybe 15 seconds until the next take or the next cut or the next camera angle. That's tough, that's tough to do. So it's more fun in plays where you can, uh, like I played Benjamin Franklin. I actually played Thoreau and I'm looking at the guy playing Ralph Waldo Emerson. And there's a brief moment in there where you believe that's Ralph Waldo Emerson, and you're Thoreau. It's pretty, pretty, it's pretty exciting, you know. Yeah. One final question: 
a child, a kid, teenager, even a young adult wants to get into this industry, what words of encouragement would you have for them? The first thing is to learn how to do it. Learn how. Then you take pictures of everything you do, and there's no formula for success. But what works is putting those pictures in front of people that can help or hire you, you know? You have to find out where they are. You have to be, when, you have to be ready. When you're in the right place at the right time, you have to be ready. Like if, if one of my students walked past here, I would immediately say, show me your portfolio. And it better be on the flash drive, on their keychain, the in their phone. Don't go to 7-Eleven without your portfolio because you don't know when you're going to meet that person who can help or hire you. The two biggest things that happened in my life were because, one, I was in a bar. I don't drink, but I was delivering signs to a bar. There was an interesting guy sitting there, and he had just done a movie in Florida, art director, children shouldn't play with dead things, you know? I had my portfolio in the car. Three days later, I was in Florida doing my first movie with this guy, okay? Because I had my portfolio in the car. I got a full scholarship to Carnegie Mellon University because I showed them my portfolio when I was asked. So that's why I preach to my students, don't go anywhere without it. So when opportunity comes calling, be ready. When you're in the right place at the right time, well, first of all, be in the right place at the right time, but be ready, okay, yeah. Where can we find uh, more information about you, Tom? Oh, my website, savini.com. Excellent, thanks, Tom Savini. You bet, good luck with it, yeah. What an incredible pleasure this next guest always is. We've talked to him uh, before, we had him on uh, Matters of the Mind uh, doing a phone or about his uh, documentary, No Kidding Me Too. And we got a chance to expand on that when he was at Niagara Falls Comic Con, spending a few days chatting with fans, talking it up about his various roles that he's uh, um, been involved with, especially the Goonies, where most of the people from that uh, particular event know him from. We, of course, know him from The Matrix, The Sopranos. And he's a very giving guy, very honest, very forthright about his struggles with addiction and mental health issues, as he calls it, a dis-ease with mental health, as you'll hear in this wonderful segment. Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano joins us live from Niagara Falls. Come on, come on. Joe Pantoliano joins us now from uh, The Sopranos, The Matrix, and of course his stellar documentary, No Kidding Me Too. Joe, you were in town in Toronto recently. Yeah, to uh, to screen it for the American Psychiatric Association. Well, yeah, we showed actually we showed the Matrix there, and it was in association with Rutgers, where people can actually uh, uh, they have the ability to tweet and ask questions and make comments as the film is showing, and so it's a new technology that I was interested in participating in. Excellent. So, Joe, you had you told us on a radio show you do not believe in the term disease, rather it's dis-ease. Well, I, I don't believe, I don't like the term mental illness. Mental illness. Because there's a, there's a, a permanence to it. It's a, it's a mark uh, that is irrecoverable. That's not the right word. Permanent. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's a permanent scar. And, uh, and what I discovered that, that it's more like a mental or spiritual dis-ease. It's an uneasiness that comes and goes. And so it enables people to, to accept their, their present condition, seek treatment and support, and learn to regulate their lifestyle through their distress because it's not permanent, comes and goes. 
labels are very, sometimes can be very transitional and, and you're against labeling. What's happening with No Kidding Me, Me Too now? Are you still trying to get it out there to more countries, more screenings? Well, you know, people are reaching out to us and uh, I, get, I get emails. I've been invited all over the world. I've been to Iraq and Ireland and England and uh, organizations uh, like Amnesty International where they're, they're determined to equalize the discussion and make it more broad span and open uh, and education, the educating the young about emotional hygiene because we don't, we're not taught how to regulate and manage our hygiene. They teach us how to brush our teeth and uh, you know wash our hair, uh, but not not how to wash our soul. And science is understanding that all addictions stem out of emotional distress. Whether it's if you look at our country, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but 70% of our nation is obese. That means that over 70% of Americans are over 45 pounds per person. And and, if, and and that's a disease, right? You know, it's an eating dis-ease. You know, we're overfed, we're overdrugged, we're overexposed to advertising. Advertising works, and it tells us how to think, and it tells us what to buy, and it tells us we should be ashamed of ourselves. And so in educating the young, it takes away the shame that is brought to them by their mentors. Yeah. Like grandma, grandpa, you know, if, if somebody's diagnosed with uh, a mood disorder, okay, the parents right away are ashamed and they blame themselves. And it's a social, a social mark on, on society. And when you consider that four and five humans will deal with some kind of emotional distress, it's, it's, a, it's a normal way of living. It's a cultural thing too. For a lot of cultures, they, yeah. they, have, a, they have a problem with... with Italian-American, African-Americans, you know, I didn't know my mother was crazy. I thought she was Italian-American. <laughs> one, one Italian-Canadian, yeah. one Italian-American. Yeah, there's not much difference there, is there? You know, it's a cultural thing and, you know, pride is, a, is the number one of the deadly sins. And, you know, when I talk about it and kind of labeled it as a, my seven deadly symptoms, you know, that I wanted to change the way I felt through the outside experience. And that was uh, through success, becoming an actor, the way I dressed, uh, through sex, through eating, through, you know, all exterior ways. Oh, I'll have a couple of drinks to feel better. Or, you know, I'll, I'll sleep with this one and that'll, you know, look at my, my new bride, look at my girlfriend. See, that's a reflection of me. So it's very self-centered and it comes out of insecurity. So I don't try to fix the way I feel any longer from the outside. It's an inside job. So Joe, one last question. For anybody who's struggling right now for this identity and they're trying to find it, courage in a bottle, through drugs, through sex, through shopping, what would your advice be to them? Well, to seek treatment, ask for help, and talk to your, your doctor. And, you know, there are wonderful 12-step programs, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, Emotions Anonymous, uh, Bipolar Anonymous, where people, they don't talk about their disease. You know, you don't go to an Alcoholics Anonymous and talk about 
your alcoholism. You talk about your distress. You, you, you're giving up the answer. And the answer was drugs. The answer was sex. The answer, all of those, that was the answer to your distress. And now you're talking about your distress for the first time. And you're saying how you're feeling. And, and there's real empathy. Because it's not about, it's not about addiction. It's about the lack of empathy in life. Mm -hmm. And, and by finding other people that can feel the way you feel, you know, it's through that empathy that you can get better. When we interviewed you last time, you were talking about your love of clothes, and, and, and you said, oh, they might have to take my credit cards away. Did you get your credit cards back? You know what? I stopped. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a progressive recovery, and so I don't buy stuff like I used to. I, you know, it's really remarkable, but my... my I think that had to do with getting to be my age because you know, I'll be 64 in September and it's like, I've got all this junk I'm stuck with now. You know, and a lot of it was, well, all of it was also junk that I thought was going to fill up this emptiness inside of me, right? Please invite us to your garage now, would you? Yeah, sure. All right. Thank you, Joe. You're all Thank invited. You so much. That wraps up our coverage from Niagara Falls Comic Con recently, and I did not make it to Joe's garage sale. Sadly, I would have loved to have seen what he had in there. Um, probably a, a cache of great things. Stay tuned. We've got our wonderful guest, Ellen Campbell from the CCAA, joining us right around the corner. Well, hello there and welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And now what really matters to us is our special guest, partner in crime here, that will be joining us each and every week uh, this season again. That would be Ellen Campbell, who is the CEO and founder of the great organization called the Canadian Centre for Abuse Awareness. And they've got new digs, new location, and Ellen, who's now joining us, will tell you all about that. Welcome back, Ellen. Hi, Peter. Thank you. I hope you had a great summer and every all your listeners are ready now for the fall and the new year. Really, this is the new year for all it of is, us. It is the yeah. new year. So with yeah. that said, um, you guys had moved into a tremendously humongous uh, warehouse that is now your new home. So right from the get-go, can you tell listeners where they can find you now? Sure. Uh, well, we're in Aurora on Connaught Avenue. It's by appointment only, though, so no one should just show up. If they wanted to contact us, the best thing to do is contact us at 905-967-0687. And um, so we have to have an appointment. But our warehouse now is, of course, much larger. But now we're also able to help people with furniture. So really, we're able to now help somebody almost totally equip their apartment from the furniture. We have brand new bedding, uh, slightly used housewares, and of course clothes. Uh, we have women's, especially a lot of women's clothes. Uh, we'll be do starting our makeovers in uh, probably about a month, and that's where women come in, maybe from a shelter or a treatment center every Monday. And they get their hair and their makeup and their nails done and a new outfit. And um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of men's clothing, but I have partnered with someone that can help with men's clothing. I want to let you know too, Peter, and um, I can be more specific next week, but we are doing a men's conference in October for three days. It'll be for male victims. One will be, one day is for professionals, but the other two days are for the victims and their families. 
and this can be either childhood victimization or, as you and I spoke about, Peter, a lot of men now are going through domestic abuse, which sounds strange, mm-hmm. but really, if your wife is spitting on you or kicking you and hitting you, what does a man do, really? And, and you know, as someone who's gone through some of that, uh, being Todd, um, mm-hmm. in a previous relationship, uh, I should throw that right out there right now um it doesn't necessarily need to be physical but it can be the threat of the physicality that just makes you think twice but it's also the verbal abuse and that's generally what i went through a lot of that was Uh far in in my opinion far more damaging uh, to me even now um i'm still dealing with certain aspects of what was said to me during that time and i and i'm not aware of it until i say something or i i i, I reevaluate my take on a situation and I go that's not the way i truly feel about that so why am i thinking that way ah the light bulb goes off and you think of the programming that you went through oh so uh-huh. many oh so many years ago exactly and so i'm glad that that's now being talked about more Todd. Absolutely. And and you said you're, so a three-day conference, is this for men that have, um, is it a blend of men that have dealt successfully with it and are there to, to help others? Or is it people that have really not gotten a good handle on what went on and they really need to share in a group environment to feel comfortable to get it out? Really all of the above. There's going to be uh, some amazing uh, agencies there. Uh, there's a new group in Toronto called the Men's Centre that um, is working, it's really with families. Um, so they're, um, it's kind of to let people know what they're doing. Now, they, their lean is towards men, but it, they really do want to help families. As you know, when the, when the husband or, you know, is not well or is dealing with trauma, the whole family suffer from it. And, of course, it can be passed on, uh, the emotional damage. So... It's really a bit of everything. It's any kind of abuse. It's any, whether it's, you know, a long time ago or current. And so we'll have information up on our website at abusehurts.ca. But I encourage anybody that is struggling. This could be something, Todd, that, you know, could even be helpful for you, even though you say you're past it, there's still triggers. Mm -hmm. So how do you get past the triggers? One of the things I want to ask you, Ellen, is looking at you're going to have some guys that'll say you know what this i just i'm too embarrassed ellen to come out and even show my face there because what if somebody sees i'm one of these people can you address Uh that ellen in terms of the stigma is there still this stigma that is attached to males being victims of abuse and if so how do you deal with this ellen especially with guys calling in or inquiring or interested in in attending this uh, sort of conference Mm-hmm. Well, you're right, Peter, and I'm sure you experience it as well. I think the stigma is getting less and less, and it's this very type of a conference that when you come out and you realize, well, I'm not the only guy, There's, and you don't know in the audience who's a therapist, who's a police officer, who's a frontline worker. Mm-hmm. You're just somebody going to a conference, so it's not like anybody will know you're the victim, and you don't have to identify yourself as a victim. But they'll learn where the support and the helps are. So it's actually, if you're going through that, this is probably one of the best ways to come out and and just be with other people, and no one will know. 
You, you know what, Alan? It's a great point, and I'm glad you bring that up, especially the fact that there is no stereotype for an abused male. Like, what does he look like? And I'm really glad you touch on that point because it is, you know, there are stigmas sometimes that surround AA meetings, so to speak. Uh -huh. Younger younger guys, younger women say, well, you know what? I really don't want to go to an AA meeting because it's for the oldie fogies, those kinds of people, especially if I'm, you know, my issue is drugs, narcotics, and that uh -huh. sort of stuff. And same thing uh -huh. with any any meetings. You get younger folks folks, but not the older ones. So with that uh -huh. said, what type of age diversity would you see attending this sort of conference, Ellen? I think every age, honestly, Peter. Um, you know, uh, we tend to have more, I would say, 20s on up. Don't see many teenagers, but there's no reason a teenager couldn't come because, again, you could be the son or daughter of somebody. So... You know, it's not restricted at all to age because, as you know, Peter, the damage, it, there is no age to the damage. Uh, so I, I think every age and every, it could be a woman, even though obviously it could be her husband or boyfriend or brother, whatever it is, and she just wants to know how do I deal with him? How do I deal in a family situation? Because, you know, we're all wounded in a family situation like that. So it's really so open to everybody. I, I wanted to, we've got three minutes left, and I just wanted to make sure we cover this before we, before we say goodbye for this week. Um, you mentioned that you don't have much in the way of clothing for men right now. What is, it, it, aside from men's clothing, if you could touch on a few of the things you really need, what are the things that you are most in need of right now? Well, we're certainly looking for good furniture. Um, if we can't pick it up, our partner agency will. Um, funding is always yeah. number one because... You know, it costs money to operate a, a facility this size. We're basically three staff, and we service about 200,000 people a year, 100 agencies. So the money, our admin costs are under 10%. It's mostly volunteers. But money would be number one. Secondly, of course, slightly used uh, household items. We can't take used bedding, unfortunately, because of the bed bug problem. But mm -hmm. we have brand-new bedding, so we don't need bedding. And, of course, the slightly used clothing is, uh, you know, again, it, it needs to be something that you would wear yourself. And, um, and we distribute to, as I said, over 100 agencies. So when it comes to us, it, it gets out there. It doesn't go, it doesn't sit. Excellent. So uh, we got to let you go now, Ellen. Actually, okay. our show is just uh, okay. really fast paced here, folks. Uh, so Great. with that said, one of the things, Ellen, uh, for those that want to learn more about how they can help out with the Center for Abuse Awareness and upcoming events, the best place to find you is? AbuseHurts.ca. Perfect. So, folks, it's a okay. tremendous organization. Ellen Campbell, who's the CEO and founder of it, is an awesome woman. Definitely make a tremendous difference in the world. And she will be with us again next week. So if you have any questions for her or us in regards to the Center for Abuse Awareness, fire them our way and we'll address them next week. More Matters of the Mind just around the corner. Stay with us. basically our wrap to use uh, a quote from 
show business, since we've had a lot of people in show business on our show today who make profound differences in the world, not only by entertaining you, but hearing what they say, they're, I guess we can say, more than just pretty faces, handsome faces on a camera. Yeah, and these are the people that actually don't need to do any of this stuff, but yet they do. Uh, they've got money, they've got privilege, they've got status, they've got everything that they ever want catered to them daily, and yet they still go out and try and set up charities and set up initiatives to help others. And there was a great quote, quote from uh, Kevin Spacey recently where he said, you know, if you do really well and you get up high in the world, you got to send the elevator back down. You know, you got to send it down for others and, and bring them up raise them up to your level absolutely so folks thank you so much for listening all the celebrities that we got to interview thank you so much for your time alan campbell pleasure as always and a special thanks to james ponce and chris Dabrowski who put together niagara's comic-con you guys are the best we'll catch you right back here next wednesday at 8 p.m on listen up talk radio worldwide at talk-radio.ca You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Get in touch with him on his website, petersacco.com, or find his contact page on Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash listenuptalkradio, on Twitter at listenuptalk. Thanks for listening and sharing our posts. We'll catch you next week. And all the